My name is Matthew. I'm the lead pastor here at Emmanuel, and it's a gift to be together today. Like, um, like few things have been in the last year. This is this feels like a, a tr- like unbelievably kind of God to be together. Um, so I'm going to read John three, pretty familiar text probably for some people, and then we'll pray, and then we'll see um, what God has for us. And also, if you're watching from home, hi. Um, really glad that you're with us too. John 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do the things that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born? After having grown old, can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. His feet of God. Let's pray. Um, Lord, these are some strange and cryptic words that come to us today, um, but we receive them as good news. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to have open ears and soft hearts. God, thank you so much that we are here in this room together. Come, Holy Spirit, come and be among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Most of us in this room are not asking, how shall I be saved? It's not a question we think about. We're modern Western people. Um, We don't tend to think, what must I do to inherit eternal life? These are the sorts of questions that people came and asked Jesus. They're not the sorts of questions that we tend to ask. Um, We tend to ask more questions like, why does my life feel out of sorts? Or um, why am I making more money than I've ever made before, but I still am unsatisfied with it? Or um, why can't I stop doing the habits that I want to stop doing Or why am I surrounded by people? I have friends or a spouse or children or all of the above, and yet I still feel lonely. These tend to be the questions that we ask instead of how shall I um, have eternal life. And yet for Jesus, they're they're not disintegrated. The questions are related. They they actually, um, they feed off one another. His, His contention to Nicodemus here, who is coming to him in the middle of the night to try to understand what he needs to do with his life, Jesus says, immediately, you have to be born again, or as our text says, born from above. And they're both good translations of the Greek. 
Now, when we talk about born-again Christians, my guess is that immediately some of you are like, we're not those, right? We're not those like fringe, kook, snake-handling, far-right fundamentalist Christians. We're like the normal, centrist, middle-way Christians. Like, that's who we are. We're the good kind, the safe kind, not the weird, freaky kind. Um, But according to Jesus in John chapter 3, there is no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. Every Christian needs to be, must be, born again. That's actually what a Christian is. So we're going to talk about that today. And I know it's probably not what you woke up today wondering. Like, what is it? How should I, how should I be born again? But it's Jesus' uh, desire for you and me today that we would hear this and receive it as an invitation to the answer for the th- questions we are asking, the ones we did wake up with or that we did fall asleep ruminating uh, over. So we're going to ask three questions today. First of all, uh, who is the new birth for? Uh, second, what is it? And then thirdly, how, how does it come to us? That's our outline. Let's jump in. Who needs to be born again? Well, interestingly, the first character we meet in our text is a guy named Nicodemus, um, and we'll call him Nick. Um, but Nicodemus is, um, just realized when I go over there, I'm probably behind the pole, aren't I? We're learning this. This is new tech. You guys are pioneers. Um, Nicodemus is, it says, a Pharisee, which means that he is a, a morally upright, a morally scrupulous, a holy person, a, a guy with outstanding character, a person with great character references uh, on, whenever he applies for a job. He's also a ruler of the people, which means he has power and authority that's been given to him. So he's a pillar of society. He's not just a teacher of the law. He's also a, a, a ruler and, and has some sort of like leadership over the people of Israel. So he's like He's, like, he's a really good guy. He's, he's also like, he's worked really hard to get where he is. He's had to spend years and years doing school. And he's open-minded enough to go and find Jesus in the middle of the night because he's like, I still need to understand more. So he's like, he's a, he's, he's a person that anybody would want to have as a neighbor, probably, unless you tried to do illegal things on your property. He's, he's a good guy. He's an amazing person. Yet, and yet he knows that all of it hasn't worked for him, that he's still missing something. So he sneaks off in the middle of the night to go and ask a question of Jesus because no, no matter how much he's achieved, no matter how much wealth and power he's, he's accumulated, he's still, it's still not enough. And that is something that I think we could relate to, that no matter how much we may have accomplished in our life or how much we may have in our possession right now, there's still some sort of aching, gnawing thing that it's not quite enough. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, we know you're from God, whatever that means, um, and we, we, I, I need to understand more of like what, what's missing And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And it's interesting that Nicodemus heard this because Nicodemus was not there to have someone say, you have to have your whole life turned upside down. You have to have a fresh start. He was just looking for something to modify his life, which is what most of us are doing. Most of us are convinced that we're like one debt payoff plan or a good eating like plan or whatever it is, an exercise routine away from getting to the life that we want. If I could just lose the 10 pounds, if I could just run the 10K, if I could just whatever it is, if I could finish the degree, if I could get the promotion, if I could get the new car, if we could finally finish the basement, whatever it is, if I can get to these things, then I'm going to have the life that I want. And Jesus says, you're missing what is most needed. You need a total renewal of the self. You need to be born from above which is actually, I think, just a good word for us because a lot of people receive Jesus' message um, eagerly. So in John chapter 4, the next chapter, there's a woman who has a very hard and difficult relational past. She's been wounded uh, relationally, sexually. She carries with her uh, 
uh, in her body the stigma of this. In fact, she's an outcast of the society because of her, um, her promiscuousness. And Jesus' words to her are far kinder than Nicodemus because when you are already at bottom, the invitation of Jesus feels like the most natural thing in the world. It's why the gospel has always and will always spread like wildfire among the poor. It's because these, are the, these words have, they, they carry promises that people are dying for. If you're the persecuted church right now in Iran or India, uh, China, North Korea, Burma, these things, they're, they're, they're not abstractions for you. They feel like, like lifelines for you. These are the things that put songs in the mouths of, of men and women and children picking cotton on southern plantations. These things have always moved among those who already find themselves at the bottom, but most of us in here are not there. Most of us in here find ourselves in fairly comfortable lives, fairly productive, surrounded by people that are like-minded, affluent. We have to be born again. We need nothing less than a total upheaval of our life. We need the insides of us to be changed. So how does, uh, so what is the new birth? What is it? Well, let's think about the metaphor for a minute. What is a birth? I mean, you, you went through one. What is it? Um, you probably don't remember it. We tend to block it out. We block it out because it's a, it's a fairly traumatic event, I mean, if we're honest. In fact, one of the things that's kind of cool that I, I've just really been fascinated by is how in the last, feels like the last 10 years, there's been all this new um, excitement around like, uh, like water births and home births. And maybe some of you have chosen to have children that way. It's, it's awesome. That's great. It's not how my wife and I did it. We had four kids under bright lights in a, in a cold room at Kennestone Hospital. But, um, but, I, but I love like, the energy behind this and, and I, because I think that what it recognizes is that for children, being born into this world is a violent event. Because you have lived now for months inside a completely safe, warm, quiet full-belly universe. The entire womb is actually designed to keep you safe, fed, loved, nurtured, nourished, even to the detriment of the mother. Like, the, the mother's body becomes about the child at that point. And now suddenly, there's contractions, and you're pushed out, and it's cold, and there's bright light, and darkness, and loud sounds, and clanging, and weird fingers touching you, and all the things that were there that made life feel um, safe are gone. That's what a birth is. What's the first thing a baby does? They cry. You would too (laughs) if suddenly that happened to you. In fact, I heard a midwife say once in an interview that if a baby comes out and is not crying, it either means there's something very wrong with the baby or sometimes the baby's fine, but it's in shock. That the baby's just gone through a traumatic event can't make sense of what's happening. Jesus calls it a birth. And I think we should think about what that would mean for us to be, in a sense, violently ripped out of the comfort of our life as is, the warmth, the predictability, the sustainability of it into something that feels out of our control, into something that feels shocking, risky, dangerous. 
This is why Jesus is always saying things like, if you're going to follow me, you have to carry a cross. Or it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Or if you're going to come after me, you have to forsake your life and forsake your father and your mother and your spouse and your children if you want to be my disciple. And it bears repeating. I know I say this like every time we come across a hard teaching of Jesus, but it bears repeating what kind of person says those things. What kind of person makes demands like that? It's one of two things. Either he's a narcissistic lunatic and a tyrant who we should not admire. We should not like, uh, esteem as a great historical figure. We should not put over here like, next to some of the other teachers of peace. We shouldn't make him like Buddha. He's far more aggressive in his demands than Buddha was. Either he's that or he is a person who knows that what he's asking and demanding of you, he is greater than those sacrifices. Those are the only options. Nobody who met Jesus in his lifetime had a a mild or moderate reaction to him. They either fell down and worshipped him and followed him to their deaths or they hated him and wanted to kill him. This was the experience of Jesus when he walked the earth. And it should be our experience as well if we're dealing with the real historical Jesus. Jesus understands that what he's calling you to in the new birth is not going to be something that's going to feel like like a weekend at the spa. It's not going to be the sort of like continuation of comfort. It's going to be a life of, of sacrifice, a life of surrender, a life of choosing others before yourself. It's going to be an entirely thing, different thing uh, altogether. So Nicodemus asks this question. He's like, it's kind of a weird question. It sounds like he's a little tone deaf. He's like, do you get back inside your mom's body when you're old? But he's actually kind of not missing the point that what is actually being talked about here is not some sort of elated experience. It's a birth. It's a being pulled out of something that was safe and put into something that feels risky. This is what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who's had their life reoriented off of themselves around someone else. It's why we worship Jesus. When we worship, when we come here, we put our hands in the air and stuff like that. Uh, we, are, we are training our heart and our body to orient around someone other than ourselves. Like we're, we're speaking like exercise. We're training our bodies and our hearts to think rightly where Jesus is the center, where he is the most valuable, where his beauty and his goodness are greater and more important than ours. So that's what the new birth is. It is a, it's a birth. It's a, it's a cosmic upheaval of our life. So how does it come? Jesus gives two ways that it comes, and they seem to contradict each other, but welcome to the Bible. One is wind, and the other is something that we do. So the first, he says, is it's like the Spirit comes, and the Spirit is like wind, which makes a lot of sense, because in the Greek, uh, wind and breath and Spirit are the same word. It's just kind of cool. So when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he's also talking about this breath, this wind. And if you think about it, he says you can't control the wind, right? We all say, right. Have you ever tried to fly a kite on a day when it's not windy? You feel powerless. So he's like, you can't control the wind. And that's kind of what it's like. It's like the wind just coming when it wills. Of course, wind has no agency, but it does if it's the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God comes when the Spirit wills. It's why we say every week here at Emmanuel, come Holy Spirit. It's not because the Spirit's not already here. The Spirit is here. But it's because we want a fresh encounter with the wind, the breath of God blowing over our hearts and reigniting the fire within. We want to experience God's love in new ways. We want a tangible manifestation of God's power. So we say, come Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, it's like standing outside and say, come on, wind, blow. That's how much control you have in that moment. So Jesus says, this is what the new birth is like. It's like wind just coming and sweeping across and you can't control, you don't know when it's going to come. And then he says this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
from, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, there it is again, may not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you don't know the reference there, that's a very strange statement. So let me just give it to you really quick, because I imagine some of us don't. In the book of Numbers, we've been walking with the children of Israel for a long time now. They left Pharaoh, they left Egypt, they left slavery, and they've been in the wilderness for a long time. And they're getting cranky because it's been years. And they keep burying their dead, and they keep eating the same food every day, and they're completely dependent on God for everything. And a lot of times it feels like God isn't moving fast enough for them, which I think most of us can relate to that feeling. And they begin to grumble and complain. They get angry. And it says, this is weird, that God sends fiery serpents into their camp. We don't know what this is referencing, what it looks like, where they're coming from. Are they dropping out of the sky? Are they coming up out of the ground? Either way, it sounds totally terrifying, like the worst way ever to die. So these fiery serpents begin to attack and to bite all of these Israelites, and they're all dying. And Moses is like, what am I supposed to do now? And God says, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a pole. This is where we get like our medical symbol of the snake wrapped around the stick. Put it on a pole and hold it up. And when the, when the people who have been bit by the venomous snakes look up and see the bronze serpent, they will be healed. So what, what's going on here? The Lord says to, to Moses, here's how the people will be healed. I want you to put on a pole an image, an icon of their judgment, of the thing that they are being penalized for or penalized with right now, of their judgment. I want you to hold it up. And when they look at an image of their judgment, they will experience healing and wholeness and they, they'll... they'll they'll be set free. And Jesus says this in the context of new birth, this is what the new birth is brought about by. Looking like the, at the, like the serpent lifted in the wilderness, you must look at the Son of Man when he is lifted up. And this is where the whole thing comes together. Because um, how are children born? Not how are children made. We know that. How are children born? Well, they're not born through their own effort, right? How are they born? Through the effort of another. Children enter the world through the labor and anguish and blood of another person. Every child who has ever been born has entered through the blood of another person, through the anguish of another person. We didn't choose to be born. Someone else's body chose it was time for us to come out. And then they did all the work to put us here, where we are right now. And in those days, I know that today we have epidurals and all sorts of stuff. It makes it a little bit less, less horrendous than, than, than it can be. Um, but even still, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exhausting thing. The bones come out of joint. The skin tears. It's an exhausting, horrendous thing. And in those days, it was far more likely that the mother would die. Jesus is saying something to us. He's saying this new birth that comes to us it comes through the anguish of another. So who's anguish? Who's labor? Who is laboring? Who is bleeding? Who is screaming to birth us? Who is our mother, really? And we don't have to speculate too hard because if we go to the end of John's gospel, John 16, we, we have this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, and it's great. It's the night of the Last Supper. He's going to be crucified the next morning. And he says to them, in a little while, I'm gonna, you will see me no more. But then, in a little while, you'll see me. And they're like, what is he talking about? And then it says, he says it again. In a little while, you won't see me anymore. But then, in a little while, you'll see me. And then he says this in verse 21. 
He says, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when the child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because the joy of having brought a human being into the world. Now, I always understood this verse to be about the disciples' experience. In a little while, you won't see me, but then in a little while, you will. Now, when a woman has, has a baby, she's in a lot of pain, but then she sees the baby, and she's not in pain anymore, or she forgets about it because she gets to hold this baby. And that's what your experience is going to be like, disciples. You're going to go through a lot of pain, but then you're going to see me again. And it is about that, but it's about more than that. And here's why I know it's about more than that, because Jesus chooses to use a word in it. He uses the word, hour. He says, a woman is in labor when her hour comes. And you, you're going to have to trust me on this, but you can, you can check me this week. If you read the book of John, you will find that word, hour, all throughout. Every single time it's used, it means one thing, Jesus' crucifixion. He says it at the beginning in John chapter 2, my hour has not yet come. You get way later, like John 11, he's like, my hour is now here. He's, he's always talking about this hour, and the hour is the hour of his death. He prays it in John 17, my hour, my hour, my hour. And then he says in John 16, when her hour has come, which means what? What is Jesus saying? Jesus says that there is great sorrow when the hour comes, but when the child is put in her hands, the sorrow fades away. Do you know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, I am your spiritual mother. And in order for you to be born again, you need to look in the face of my anguish. The sign of judgment. But you need to know something when you do that. I am in anguish on the cross. I'm doing it for you. But the sight of you makes the suffering fade into the background. That I would rather have you and the cross than not have you and not have to go through the cross. That the thought of you being put on my belly like a newborn baby is worth all of it. It just disappears. And Jesus is trying to get something across to you and me that we need to let in, and it's this. This whole language around new birth, and it can feel like Jesus is always like drawing all these lines. Like, why are you drawing all these lines? And he's like, don't you understand how much I am for you? Don't you understand that the God behind the universe is endlessly loving towards you with no limitations to that love? And that God's entire design and desire for you is that you would simply experience the life that I've called you to. And you won't if you are not born again. You don't need more habits. You don't need better church attendance. You don't need to be in a neighborhood group. You should do all those things too but you need a complete upheaval and reversal of your life. You need to be born new. You need your orientation changed. Then, Jesus says, you will see the kingdom. And everything short of that, and the thought of you being put in my arms, Jesus says, makes all that I will go through to birth you into that kingdom worth it. Let's stand up together if we're able. Is it on? Thanks. So I, um, um, John 3.16 is one of those verses that if you've been in the church or even at a baseball game, you've probably heard it so many times it's lost some of the meaning. Um, but I always, uh, 
it stops me up short this, uh, that what has become like the most iconic verse for the church is this, is a verse about um, a father and a son. Like last night I was, uh, my boys asked if they could sleep in the basement because it's summer vacation, so it's time to move mattresses around. And this is like a big treat um, to, to sleep on the floor downstairs. So we move their mattresses downstairs, put on a movie. Um, they watch the movie. They're so excited to be downstairs. Who wouldn't be? Uh, it's a finished basement. And so they, um, they, they can't fall asleep. And so I go down there, and it's way past their bedtime, and they're just still there. And they said, uh, can you, would you just lay with us? And so I said, of course, yeah. So I just lay in the middle of their two twin mattresses. And, um, you know, it's like, it's hard to, like, explain, like, what happens in my heart when I'm just near their bodies, just with them. But I, I think it's, um, it's not a mistake that God wanted us to know, like, this is how much I love you. I'm going to send my son. You know, Romans says that um, someone would, like, people would rarely die even for a righteous person. Person. Though for a good person, some people might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet enemies of Christ, he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Which is just to say this. <laughs> um, do you know how loved you are? How fully and totally as you are right now, not as you will be, but as you are right now, fully and totally, completely loved as you are. And that all the things that we're running after all week long, day after day, week after week, every time we look at our phone, hoping it's going to save us for another 30 seconds until we look at it again. Like the answer that we're longing for is already there. For God so loved you, the world, that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him, looks at him, gazes on him like they gazed at the bronze serpent, shall have the life you're looking for. Endless, boundless life. And so may you believe that. May you live out of it. May it not just be something that you don't think about until next Sunday, but may it be something that you wake up thinking about and falling asleep, praying to every night. The wonderful, matchless love of God for you. Jesus, we give you our hearts. You know how to take care of us. We are not very good at taking care of ourselves. We ask, Father, that you would please through the love that you showed to us in your son, that you would heal us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Welcome back to church, everyone. Good to be here. You are loved. Grace and peace. See you next week. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.